Thank you for tuning into the City Church California podcast. We exist for anyone to believe in God, to become who God created them to be, and to build the church and our city. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so that you can be updated anytime we add new content. Now let's check out the latest message from our Sunday gathering. We're going to continue in our series of Living Sacrifice. Pastor Michael did an amazing job laying out last week of what true worship is. Um, and so the idea of Living Sacrifice is that it's a person who worships God's way and lives out God's will. A Living Sacrifice is someone who worships God's way and lives out God's will. We're going to go to Romans chapter 12 and we're going to start in verse 2. I have to admit, and this is my favorite verse in the book of Romans, which is sometimes, depending on the week, my favorite book in the Bible. Um, Verse two says this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Verse three says this, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Everyone say, oof. (laughs) That verse is not so fun. Uh, But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. The Apostle Paul is writing a doctrinal masterpiece in the book of Romans. It's to a church that he's never been to before. He's never met these people. He's met maybe a few of the Jewish believers who were in Jerusalem, then went back to the church. And he's writing to to a church that is divided culturally, divided ethnically, and he's trying to bring unity and grace around this idea of what we believe and how we become righteous. So he spends 11 chapters about right believing. He spends 11 chapters on this, this word we would say is justification, or the way you could break that down is just as if I never sinned. It's how do we receive the righteousness of God? So he spends 11 chapters on right believing, and then he spends the last four chapters very practically on right living, because how many of you know right believing will produce right living? Sometimes we want to do the right living. Just give me the right living. Pastor, tell me how to live. But this is the thing. In the spirit, with the Spirit of God and in the kingdom of God, if we believe wrong, we can't live right. We, 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 right believing is what produces right living. So if in the first 11 chapters, the focus is justification, the last four chapters is focused on this process called sanctification, which is the, the process in which we are made holy or the process in which that righteousness is revealed in our lives. And so it's, it's going from this belief and this philosophy to now it's practically living in our lives. We can see the righteousness of God and the transformation of God in our lives. And we would say this, that if sin, if all sin begins in the mind, then we also believe that all holiness can begin in our minds. If we want to become holy, it begins with our thinking being transformed by the Spirit of God, which has been made holy by the Holy Spirit, and then our behavior follows. But we live in a culture and a time and a day and an age that we want to fix the behavior without actually changing our believer. But what we believe will shape how we behave. And if we are behaving incorrectly, it's because we usually because we believe incorrectly. Um, but we must understand this, that in the human condition, formation in your spirit is happening, whether we realize it or not. 
There is a, we will either be deformed away from the image of Jesus or we will be conf- or transformed into the image of Jesus. But there is no like neutrality. It's not like once you hit a spot in your Christian walk that you're like, okay, I'm going to just pause right here. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done and saving me and giving me your grace. I'm just going to stop right here. Thank you, Jesus. Give him some praise, right? I'm just not going to grow anymore. Uh, no, if we either are, we are growing more like Jesus or we're moving further away from his image. There is no neutral ground. That's a lie that we can believe. So either we are being conformed or we are being transformed. And to be conformed is this, it's simply this, it's a behavior that is uh, shaped by an external mold. Conformity is is external. Conformity is allowing our thinking and our behavior to be shaped from the outside in. It's allowing the mold of culture, the mold of, uh, of a worldview that is opposing to ours, and it's allowing that to shape and to mold how we think and what we believe and how we behave. That's what conformity is. And conformity usually means uniformity. It means that we all have to think the same, look the same, act the same, and culture wants us to conform, but it is a deformation away from the image of God. Transformation is the opposite. It's not from the outside in, but it's from the inside out. Transformation is the same word, metamorpho, that is used when Christ was transfigured on the mountain with his disciples. It was his glorified nature was shining through. He was transfigured. So the idea of transformation is this, is that our, our, our glorified state that we have yet to reach is by one glory to the next being revealed in our lives until the coming day, until the, 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 brightening, the, brighting, the bright light of the coming day. It's little by little, the more and more the glory of God shines through our lives because only God can transform our lives. That's why God gets the glory. Have you ever tried to transform your own life? Not so good, you know? Doesn't work out so good, you know? It's like, that's why C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says this, if you want to be a Christian, try to serve God by yourself for 21 days and you'll realize you need God, right? Try to do everything the right way for 21 days and you'll be like, oh my gosh, Lord, I need you. I can't do this on my own. So the renewal of the mind is key. It moves from the inside out. But what is the mind, The mind is a complex mental state involving beliefs, feelings, values, dispositions to act in certain ways. Now, if you didn't know this, I'm a neurobiologist. I'm just kidding. I'm not. I could barely pass chemistry. I'm not a neurobiologist at all. I just wanted to get it out of the way. I don't have a doctorate of the brain, but what I can describe to you is how can God transform our brain, right? So our brain is a complex place. How many of you can admit that your brain is complex? Right? Husbands, how many of you can admit your wife's brain is complex? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Don't raise your hand. You're going to get in trouble. It's a minefield. You don't know what's going on. You're just like, hey, how's it going? It's all right. I don't know what that means, but all right, I'm going to keep moving, right? Yeah. The mind is a complex place. It's filled with the mind, the will, the emotions. There's a lot of things that make up our thinking. There's a lot of things that make up our minds. Uh, for, for the Jew, for the Jew that, that Paul's writing to, they really had two states. They had the external state, the body, and they had the internal state. But for, for the Greek, he, they separated it one step further. It wasn't just the internal state. They had the soul, which was the mind, the will, and the emotions, and then they had the spirit. And they believed that the spirit directly inf- influenced the soul, but they were separate. 
So the Spirit of God is within us, and He influences our mind, but He wants to transform us. So let's bring greater distinction to what we're going to talk about today in the mind is this. Our mind is made up of information, ideas, images, and the ability to think. Information, ideas, images, and the ability to think. Our mind creates the framework or the lens in which we see the world. It creates our worldview. And so in this passage, what it's saying is when we establish a worldview that's transformed more into the image of God, our actions will flow from that place. So successful Christian living is our minds being renewed so we can discern the will of God and put it into practice in our everyday life. But what is the will of God? I think we all would say, I want to be in the will of God. How many of you want to be in the will of God for your life? That's awesome. You're in church at 10 a.m. on a Sunday during fall break. I think you want the will of God for your life. That's pretty awesome. But how do, we, how do we get it? What is the will of God? Well, the way that I would define the will of God is God's decisions and God's directions. So what decision would God make and what direction would God go? What direction does God want your family to go? What decisions does God want you to make for your life and for your family, for your business, for, your, you know, for, for, for the marriage that you have or the marriage that you want? What are the decisions and the directions that God would make? What is the will of God? And learning what God would do and what direction he would go is directly correlated to how we allow the Holy Spirit to renew our mind. If we want to see it with greater clarity, then it's going to require us to allow the Holy Spirit to renew our mind with greater accuracy. Does that make sense? So in order for us to discern the will of God, we must allow the Spirit of God to renew our minds. And the goal of Christian living is that we obey the will of God naturally and spontaneously. So the goal is that we don't always have to think about, okay, God, am I going to obey you today? Am I going to obey you today? Am I going to, gosh, is this your decision? Is that, have you ever met a Christian Is that every decision they make, let me just pause for a second. It's not an efficient lifestyle, is it? Let me just ask if this is the will of God, I need to send this email. It's your job, send the email, Okay. <laughs> But, but the, the, the goal is that it becomes so ingrained into we, who we are, it becomes natural. That the decisions that God would make is the decisions that we make. The, the direction that God would go is the direction that we go. Character is not just who you are when nobody's looking. It's who you are without even thinking. What comes out of you? What flows from you? When life presses you, what is what comes out of you is really what our character is or is not. So the renewing of the mind brings us to this space where we can obey God both naturally and spontaneously. And the way we walk in the will of God is to allow the Spirit of God to renew our minds. Spiritual formation in Christ moves us to a total interchange of our ideas and our images for His. So our whole goal is to be formed in Christ is that we interchange our ideas and our images for His. But how do we do that? (laughs) That sounds pretty daunting, doesn't it? Because the thing about thinking is... Whether we realize it or not, our worldview and our lens is what we're married to and what we sometimes the most difficult thing for us to separate from. So the first thing that we need in order to change our minds or to renew our minds is we need the correct information. We need the correct information. It will be impossible for us as believers to renew our minds in Christ without the correct information about Jesus. 
See, Paul spends 11 chapters giving these believers in Rome the correct information or right believing. How can we assume we will be transformed into the image of God if we are ignorant to the words of God? It's scripture that gives us the information or the baseline of truth in which we'll renew our mind. It's the correct information. Without the true information, we cannot reshape how we think. Without correct information, our ability to choose a new way of thinking is impossible. Our patterns of thinking will conform to the truths of scriptural revelation and then with the Holy Spirit proceed to, to, to transform every element of our life. This is what we believe about the Bible. The Bible is not just applicable to our spirit. That's where we miss it. The Bible is not just spiritually true. It is totally true. We cannot separate secular versus sacred and these things. Well, this is my sacred time with the Lord. And no, the Bible should transform every element of your life. It can transform your thinking so much so it will affect the most practical areas of our life, our business, our finances, our relationships, our community, our families, all of these areas that we want God to transform. It begins with having the right information, which is the word of God. It's God's word that gives us a filter in a worldview to begin to see how God can transform our world. See, the reason why some of us, we stay stuck is because we don't allow the word of God to shape our worldview. We want it to make us feel better. We want it to be an encouragement. And hopefully you're encouraged by the word of God. But sometimes you're convicted by the word of God, aren't you? I know I am. Because it's like, oh my gosh, that's what I look like? It's a mirror, it says. You ever woken up in the morning and be like, that's what I look like? Oh my gosh. And you go to your old spouse and say, thank you for marrying me. <laughs> it's a scary place in the morning. <laughs> Scripture is God's self-revelation. It's God's self-definition. It's God giving us information about who he is in order so we can receive it through the spirit of God, through revelation, and we can become more like him. Scripture is God-breathed. And 2 Timothy says this, it says, all Scripture is God-breathed and it is profitable for correction, for reproof, for instruction. It's profitable, which means it benefits you because you're breathing in the very breath of God when we consume the Word of God. St. Jerome says this, to be ignorant of Scriptures is to be ignorant of Christ. So we cannot afford to be ignorant of the Scriptures. We cannot afford to just let the pastor study the, you just study the Bible for me, pastor, and then tell me what it says. Guess what? We are all priests. And we can, this is what Martin Luther was fighting for in the Reformation. And in, in all reality, it was to bring the priesthood back to the believer that we can study scripture and read scripture and talk about scripture together and allow that to shape our worldview. St. Origen says this, I doubt whether a mind which is lazy toward the Holy Scriptures and the exercise of spiritual knowledge can be renewed at all. If we do not bring in the right information, there will be no transformation. And see, when I say information, I don't mean just reading the Bible for information. Does that make sense? It, it, it's through the revelation of the knowledge of Jesus through the scriptures. 
That as we consume, and I would say memorize and meditate on and chew on and think about and talk about and, and allow it to be so much so ingrained into who we are that it begins to shape on how we think than how we live. Madame Guyon says this, it is better to read, to apply 10 verses of the Bible to your life in a year than to read the Bible every day and apply none. So what is it that we read scriptures and quote scriptures, but they haven't transformed who we are and shaped our worldview and changed how we think and changed how we live and changed how we give? See, we should be able to, as we consume the scriptures, allow them to consume us. That's the goal of consuming scripture. So when we consume the right information, what begins to happen is it corrects broken ideas and distorted images in our thinking. So correcting ideas and confronting images is the next step. So ideas is this. It's a general model of assumption about reality. It's the framework or the lens in which we see the world. So there's, it's difficult sometimes to define our worldview or our lens. Um, in a lot of ways, it's because we don't like to. We don't like to get to the harsh truth. And also, it's because sometimes it's so ingrained into who we are because of how we were raised, the culture we were raised in, the family we come from, that, that it's, it's sometimes difficult to define, this is how I view the world. Um, God is not trying to create uniformity. He is trying to create unity. So the culture you come from, the background you come from, is exactly the way that God wanted you to come. And he doesn't want you to lose all aspects of yourself in order to follow him. But he does want to give you a new lens on how you see those things. It's no longer through the same lens of the same culture of the same way of thinking, but it's a new way of thinking in which you now can be a great, expressive, diverse, spirit-led group of people unified under the banner of Christ Jesus, and we can become with our different cultures, our different backgrounds, and we can be unified because we've allowed the lens to be transformed. We've allowed our worldview to change. So ideas are this general mode of assumption. This is where you can define an idea. What it comes the most natural to you without you having to explain it to yourself. The things that you do, the things that you say, the responses to certain situations. Your natural response is usually how you see the world. Something bad happens. Well, just this is the world we live in, huh? People are that way. Someone hurts you in church. Well, I knew it. That is just how people, church is just like that. Hmm. Another person? What? See, I told you, we're victims. We're this, we're that. See, a worldview is your natural response. And see, sometimes we actually adopt worldviews that are contrary to scripture without realizing it. We just accept it, isn't it, huh? This is a big one. This is just the way that I am. Or this is just the background I come from. You don't know my dad. You guys do know my dad. He's great. <laughs> He's awesome. No problems here. He's amazing. Does that make sense? So you, 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 you don't understand. When you start saying that, what you are doing is you're explaining a worldview without realizing it. Yeah, but you've never experienced... Okay. So this is the thing. We allow these deformed idea systems to begin to shape and form how we live. Because how you see the world will determine how you live in the world. It's just base minimum psychology and anthropology. How you view the world will really determine the actions and how you live in the world. Rarely do you act contrary to how you think, if ever. 
And so we have these deformed idea systems. And so the process of renewing our mind is recognizing when those idea systems are contrary to God's idea systems. The culture that we have in our life that is contrary to the kingdom culture. There are some elements of our culture that God wants us to bring in because it creates a spirit-led diverse community, but there are some parts of our culture that need to die. And there are some parts of our lens that need to change. And we have to be willing to accept those things when the spirit brings a conviction to those things. Because there are deformed areas of our thinking that God wants to shift and God wants to change and God wants us to give us a new way of thinking. And it says in 2 Corinthians that we have the mind of Christ. So we have received Christ's worldview, how God sees things, what God would do, how God would act. Because, and so now we get the opportunity to receive that or reject it. Because this is what happens when we don't allow the Holy Spirit to replace an idea system is then what inevitably is going to happen in life is we will have an experience that confirms our idea. And when we have an experience that confirms our idea, what that becomes is an image that we worship, an identity that we adopt. Let me put it that way. So, so sexuality. We can have an idea of what sexuality is or is not. We can have an experience with that idea. Then it becomes an identity that we worship. And so we are yelling and screaming at young people saying, hey, why would you do that? Instead of first having a moment where we read scripture and realize maybe they need a new lens. Maybe we are seeing the world in the wrong way. We have many deformed ideas that we receive, and then guess what? It is compounded with an experience. So we, we, we view church as everyone's going to hurt me because my idea system is anyone that has any value in your life has hurt you. So we go into it with this is how church is, this is how people are, and inevitably someone is going to hurt you because guess why? Because you're dealing with people. But then what happens is if we don't allow the Spirit of God to change that deformed idea system, then that experience, which should just be, you know what, I'm dealing with people and they're broken, that's how we should deal with it. Instead, it becomes now an identity that we're church hurt. And I can't be a part of community. I have to go and do this walk with God by myself, on my own, and, and do it all. And that is a lie. And some of us worship our brokenness more than we worship the Creator who can heal it. And it's because we have a, an idea that's deformed, then it's met with an experience that confirms that deformed idea. And then it becomes an idol. So we may not have idols of gold or wood or silver, but we do have idols in our culture. And it's our deformed idea systems met with our broken experiences. And then now we worship those as an identity. Could be cultural, could be ethnic, could be socioeconomic, it could be Sexual could be a myriad of different things. Could be success. What is success? The American dream, that's what success is. Or maybe success is becoming more like Jesus and having your family love Jesus and being a priest of your home and being someone who's generous and giving and building the church. Maybe that's what success is. But the process of spiritual formation is one of progressively replacing the destructive images and ideas and fill them with the mind of Jesus himself. That is the goal. 
And that's not easy. And that's not, that doesn't just happen. And then you're like, okay, great. I finished the job. I'm glad that you guys need this. I do not. No. And if that's how we feel, then we may need some ideas to be redone and some images to be torn down. Even self-righteousness can become an image. We can have a deformed idea that we're better than people. We can come to church and we can see, wow, they're really jacked up. (laughs) So glad I'm not like that. What's that created? An identity that you are more righteous than somebody else. You are, your culture is better. Your way of living is better. And then what begins to happen is there's arrogance, there's pride, and it's an idol. It's an idol that we worship. So once we first allow the right information to identify the incorrect idea, see, when we read scripture, it's a mirror. So what's going to happen is our idea system, our, our, our worldview will at some point be challenged. At some point when we're consuming the word of God and receiving a revelation of who Jesus is, our ideas, our deformed ideas will be challenged. And so when we have the correct information about God, it allows the spirit of God to correct deformed ideas and empower us to confront false images that we have faced. And now we're faced with a decision of faith. So if Romans chapter 12 is the practical outworking of Romans 11, then verse 3 is the practical outworking of verse 2. He gives you, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then he goes into verse 3 and he says this, do not, for, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. So he's letting us know this is how you transform your mind. This is how broken idea systems are fixed. Don't think so highly of yourself as you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. What you think about is a main theme in in, in Romans. Romans chapter one, it says that he darkened their minds and he gave them up to their, their debased mind, it says, or a darkened mind. And they exchanged worship for the creator, for the creation. So how can we ever get, and it says, he gives us a long list of sins. And as he gets to the end of it, he says, they know what they were doing was wrong, but they celebrated those who did it. So how do we get to that place? It's what do we give our thinking to? Or Romans eight, let's read Romans eight. This one's a challenging one. For those who live according to the flesh set their, set their minds on the things of the flesh. Oh, man. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to, the, to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. When I read that, I'm like, okay, so what does it mean to set my mind on the spirit? And as a Pentecostal, you know what my natural inclination is to do? I got to speak in tongues. <laughs> Some of you are like, what is that? Come to encounter, we'll explain it, okay? But how I many of you know you're a Pentecostal and you've spoken in tongues and you still don't, you do not have a renewed mind? <laughs> you do it like my dad talked about, you do it angry. You're like, and I said, the last, I said the last service, I have an interpretation for that, but you, we're going to have to bleep it out. You know, it's like, God, you're like looking at the person you're praying for, like that person, get them, you know? So is it just speaking in tongues? Is it just showing up to church? Is it just doing the thing? Well, Romans 12 is the practical application to the entire book. So maybe, just maybe, just maybe Romans 12 verse 3 is he's giving us an inclination of what he means to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. 
Because to think is the word phroneho, which really just means to set one's mind on. The power to choose our thoughts is our most basic freedom that God gives us. Not that you can't choose what thoughts come into your mind, but you can choose what thoughts stay in your mind. And if we allow access to our mind to anything, we must understand this, that there will either be a good effect or there will be a bad effect. So maybe the mental turmoil that we are sitting is because we are setting our minds on things that don't belong in our mind anymore. We're giving our thinking to something that is broken and then the result is brokenness and bondage and and hatred towards self and hatred toward people and hatred towards God and there's a deformed idea system and we set our minds on it. We give our thinking to it. To set your mind on the things of the flesh, as verse three says, is to set your mind too much on your self. I'm not saying don't think about yourself, but he kind of gives us what he means by that. He doesn't say don't think. He says don't think more highly than you ought. And what was he speaking to? He was speaking to a culturally diverse group of people who didn't like one another. The Jews didn't like the Gentiles and the Gentiles didn't like the Jews. The Jews thought the Gentiles were wild partiers crazy and the Gentiles thought they were legalistic and that, they, that we had freedom. They don't. Look what they have to do. We're good. And in fact, they look down upon one another. And what Paul is trying to say is that in order for us to live in a spiritually diverse community, a spirit-led diverse community, we must accept that God is using them just as much as he's using us. Because they thought, well, I'm better than them. And my get- See, this is the problem. When we think too highly of ourselves and we ought, as we compare our righteousness to the righteousness of another believer. So we say, well, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm doing this. They're not, so I'm more righteous. And guess what that's going to lead? That's setting our mind on the things of the flesh. But what he says is, do it with sober judgment according to the measure of faith given to each and every one of you. That doesn't mean that we're looking at it and say, okay, God gave us this person way more faith than me. I used to think that. It's like, oh, my dad has way more faith than me. I should just ask him to pray right? No, because that creates the same problem of comparison, doesn't it? They have more faith. I have little faith. No, he's saying the measure of faith. What he's saying is we should measure our life off our faith. So how do I not think so highly of myself and set my mind on the things of the spirit is I compare my righteousness to that of Jesus and I measure my life off him. That is my success, not my neighbor. Not what they're doing and not doing. What not, no, I'm looking at Jesus, and when I look at him, I realize, oh! See? <laughs> Weren't ready for that. I don't measure up to that, but he's still so gracious that he is allowing. That is how we are transformed. When our broken thinking is faced with Jesus and the mind of Christ, it's like, oh, okay, Lord, change it, because I want to be more like you. I want to live like you. I want to act like you. And that is how we can live from different backgrounds and different spaces and different places and be generous, be loving, be kind, and be those who live in relationship with Jesus. Why? Because we measure our life not off one another, but off Jesus. And we do it together. We so appreciate you spending time with us. 
If you'd like to invest into what God is doing through City Church California, you can go to our website, citychurchca.com, and click Give. Thanks again, and we hope to see you at one of our campuses this Sunday.